Hello, and welcome to another episode of our Ed Choice Chats. We are joined today by Leslie Heiner, our VP of Legal Affairs, and I'm Jennifer Wagner, our VP of Communications. And it has been a busy couple of months uh, in litigation world for you, Leslie. So hoping we can take a little time here to look back and then look forward at the uh, future of school choice and the past school choice litigation that's happened. Well, thanks, Jen. People often get a little nervous if they hear that the lawyers have been busy. Uh, But uh, in the case of school choice, in most, but not all, but in most of these cases, though, the, the results have been good. So I'm certainly happy to talk about that. Well, excellent. So we've had three cases in basically the last month and a half, so busy holiday season. Uh, we had two that I think we could probably chalk up to say they're victories, and those are in Florida and New Mexico. And then Montana maybe didn't knock it out of the park uh, with their Supreme Court. So let's, let's talk about the positive cases first. All right, let's talk about that. Well, first of all, let's talk about New Mexico. This is, was a textbook case from... A few years ago, the state of New Mexico allows public funding for textbooks at schools. They have a sort of unique loan program for textbooks that private schools could access to loan books also for for their kids. However, somebody got the idea that, well, you know, those kids go into religious schools. Well, they don't get textbooks. And so religious schools were excluded from the textbook loan program. Well, that was challenged. It was taken up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court vacated that decision of the New Mexico Supreme Court and said, we think you should look at this again and rethink your decision. Now, they did that after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the Trinity Lutheran versus uh, Comer decision, where the U.S. Supreme Court said that in a widely available public program, that you can't exclude a religious entity just because they're religious, just because it's a religious school, just because it's a uh, church, just because it's religious people, uh, that that directly violates the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. It's discriminatory to do that. So the New Mexico Supreme Court took a long time, uh, almost a couple years, to reconsider But their conclusion was pretty interesting. They concluded that, yes, in fact, those kids who are attending religious schools, they can have textbooks too. Okay, that seems rational. But they concluded that the reason that this would now be possible is because that the children were going to private schools and that private schools should be able to participate in the textbook loan program They talked about the Blaine Amendment, which is the amendment in over 30 of our states, which has been uh, unduly restricted. It's rooted in uh, anti-Catholic animus uh, uh, from over a century ago. And they acknowledged that uh, in this opinion by the New Mexico Supreme Court that the Blaine Amendments in the Constitution, it's really discriminatory and, and has a terrible past. But then they sidestepped, though, on the decision and said, but our decision doesn't really have anything to do with religious issues. This is more an issue of can a public entity also engage a private entity in a publicly funded program? And they concluded that, yes, you can. So it was a great victory, though, for kids in New Mexico, and certainly makes sense. Kids are going to school. 
Okay, yes. They need textbooks. They can all have textbooks. It's okay. Uh, but they didn't really touch firmly on the religious liberty aspect. So that means that piece is still hanging a little bit up in the air after the Trinity Lutheran case. And, and there is, and we'll get to that with the Montana case and, and some of the other future litigation that's on the horizon, which of those cases might be likely to pique the Supreme Court's interest and, and perhaps get them to weigh in on that. But before we get there, let's talk about Florida. Florida is obviously a huge school choice state, enormous participation in their several programs. And two of those have been, you know, litigated since basically since they were started, which has put all of those families in constant worry and fear that the program that they're using to get their kids the best education that they can might disappear overnight with a court ruling. So fortunately, that does not appear to be the case. And and can you talk a little bit about what happened down there? Be happy to talk about Florida, because you're right. Parents in Florida have had this litigation hanging over their heads for, for years. And in fact, the Florida Supreme Court, when they issued their ruling, they spoke to that and said, for 10 years, we've been litigating this case. It's time for this to be done now. And so their ruling was very conclusive, uh, which I think is important for those families, like you said, who've been watching this case very closely. So what, they, what, what happened was this. The teachers' unions there, and they've been behind all of this litigation against the school choice programs in Florida for a long time now, they brought a case challenging the adequacy of funding for public schools in Florida. But along the way, they also alleged that their tax credit scholarship program and their McKay uh, voucher for children with disabilities, that those programs... um, somehow made the public school system not uniform, not efficient, and that they also took money away from the public schools. That was the complaint. In its ruling, the Supreme Court said, nope, (laughs) nope, that's not the way it is. Uh, First of all, as to the adequacy funding, the court referenced the trial court. So at the trial court level, they had a month-long trial. That's a long time for a trial. For, for anyone who's not been to court, going to trial for four weeks, it's a very, very long time. There were 5,000 exhibits, countless experts that testified on both sides. Um, I, I mean, at the end of that, I, I don't think either side could say, oh, but wait, there's more. There was nothing more to say, Uh, so it was fully vetted. But the Supreme Court agreed with both the trial court and the appellate court ruling that said there's been absolutely no evidence presented whatsoever that either a lack of funding was contributing to something negative in the public schools or that more funding would change anything. So the court concluded Funding really is not what moves the needle on academic achievement, and that's what was proven during this extensive period of time at the trial court, and then again vetting at the appellate court level, and then again vetted at the Supreme Court level. Furthermore, the court said that the tax credit scholarship program 
and the voucher program um, were just fine. Uh, so what the court did is to say that really those two programs had had no business being in an adequacy funding case and that the uh, that the plaintiffs had not properly handled the, the legal part of that. However, the court was very specific in affirming the decisions of the trial court and the appellate court, which held that the school choice programs in Florida do not in any way take money away from public schools. They do not inhibit the public schools in any way. They don't make anything worse. And in fact, those school choice programs make things better for education generally and for children specifically in Florida. They emphatically stated that. It was wonderful. It's, of course, what we say all the time because we've, we know this to be true. But to see the Florida Supreme Court uh, validate that was, it, it was what the parents in Florida, they deserved a clear win, a clear decision by their Supreme Court, and they got it. And they can rest easy knowing that those programs are hopefully no longer in jeopardy, although <laughs> hope springs eternal on our side. You just never know where the next challenge will, will come That's from. And, and I think you've raised a really, really important point there that we combat all the time in the communications realm, in our advocacy, um, is that people lob this, this you know, idea that somehow private school choice programs, which <clears throat> by and large tend to be a very small percentage of the student population in any given state are somehow robbing public schools. And that, that mm -hmm. the Supreme Court in Florida said, you know, pretty declaratively, like, that is not the case, is a huge win, not just for those families in Florida, but also for those of us who believe very strongly that private school choice is the right option for, for some families and everyone should have access to it. And it is not, in fact, hurting existing public schools. So... That's true. Excellent, That's... excellent news out of Florida, but not <laughs> such great news out of the great state of Montana, uh, where there was a ruling against their tax credit scholarship program that I, I seem to recall made you, Leslie, very upset uh, when it came down. So hopefully you've had some time to, to, to cool down and be less upset and can explain what happened out there and what might happen with that case going forward. It's true. I admit my first comments about that case were mm, a little bit salty, <laughs> um, and I still feel the same way, that the decision that was rendered by the Montana Supreme Court about their tax credit scholarship program was just flatly wrong um, in so many ways. Uh, so what happened was this. Montana enacted a, a, it's a very small tax credit scholarship program, but it was their first school choice program, so, you know, good for them. Uh, and there are some children who are getting scholarships as a result. Uh, however, after the program was passed by the legislature, the Department of Revenue stepped in to adopt rules, which is customary, nothing wrong with that, except for the fact that they decided that religious schools could not participate in the program. Now, bear in mind, the statute passed by the legislature didn't say that. So the Department of Revenue was really um, just making it up out of whole cloth. And, and this is one thing that the Montana Supreme Court absolutely got right. The Department of Revenue exceeded their authority by a lot. And the Montana Supreme Court recognized that, that they exceeded their authority. However, Montana Supreme Court then went on kind of went off in their own 
in their own little world and uh, brought up uh, other issues with respect to the programs that had not been previously raised and ruled that the program is unconstitutional. They also went so far as to speak to tax law and the way uh, the way education is funded and tried to equate tax credits with being appropriations of the legislature. They most certainly are not. A tax credit means that your state is taxing you less because you have done some good deed or something that the legislature has recognized serves a public good. So, for example, if you give money to a scholarship granting organization so some kids can get a scholarship to get a good education, the state deems that as you actively participating in a public good. And as a result, you get a tax credit for that, which means that the state is taxing you less because you're ponying up your own cash to help these kids and provide education in the state. However, the Montana Supreme Court um, didn't see it that way, somehow believed that the state has ownership in a taxpayer's income and controls that income in some way to say that your money in your pocket can be subject to legislative appropriations long before any money from you has ever gone to the state for anything. Uh, that's a real departure. And in fact, it's the first time since, oh boy, okay, this has been a long time, since uh, the 90s that, a, that, that any state court has concluded that tax credit scholarships um, are appropriations um, or they're subject to litigation in, in any way. So Montana is a real outlier. No question about it. This court has gone against the precedent that has been set uh, by other states considering these very same programs. So that's the, the bad news. Now the good news is that um, the Institute for Justice represented parents in Montana. Um, uh, they're the ones who brought this case. So first, the first thing that they've done is they filed a motion with the Supreme Court asking them to hold up their decision because they intend to, um, to take the case to the U.S. Supreme Court or ask the U.S. Supreme Court to please take this case and consider it. Uh, so the response, there has been a recent response from the state, and the state said, well, we disagree with your reasons, blah, blah, which is proper, uh, but the state also said that they don't object to um, putting a hold on this ruling until the U.S. Supreme Court can decide whether or not they're going to, to take the case. So that will be the next step. We're waiting for the Supreme Court of Montana to rule. We expect now, since the state is not objecting, that there will be a hold on that ruling, which means that for the remainder of this year, at least, that program can continue. So the kids in Montana who are currently getting scholarships can continue to get those scholarships. That, that's the proper outcome. And then we'll see if the U.S. Supreme Court decides to take this case. And, you know, that, that it's a mixed bag out of Montana. And since we are both lawyers and not allowed to say unkind things about <laughs> fellow lawyers, we can just say, bless their hearts. 
to those Montana justices. Bless their hearts. Um, and and right. hope that, that perhaps this is a case that might move forward and, and might, you know, the outcome might be that some of these very, uh, Blaine Amendments you mentioned earlier, you know, rooted in some just very anti-religious, anti-Catholic sentiment from decades and decades ago, it might be time for those to fall by the wayside. So we, we will see, right. we'll, we will stand by on uh, Montana and whether the U.S. Supreme Court takes that case, and we will look ahead to our last two cases, last two states. So there's a pending case in Maine um, that I'd love for you to talk about, and then finally some ongoing litigation in Tennessee uh, about adequacy funding. So if you could talk about both of those, uh, that would be great. I will. So first, the Montana case, as it goes up to the Supreme Court, will invoke the Trinity Lutheran case and would give the, the U.S. Supreme Court an opportunity to more fully vet their ruling in the Trinity Lutheran versus Comer case, um, as that was not done in New Mexico, was not done in Colorado. Those were the two states where they expected that to happen, but it didn't happen. Um, now, Maine is a situation where they've had town tuitioning, which is similar to a voucher program, since, uh, let's say, I think 1873, I, I believe, long, long time. This is not a new program by any stretch of the imagination. However, Maine made a bad decision to exclude religious schools. Uh, so there's some parents in Maine who are not happy about that and um, are really struggling to understand why a religious school would be excluded, again, just because they're religious. Um, there's, there's not a lot of sense behind, behind that. Uh, so there is litigation. It, the name of the case is Carson versus Hassan. Uh, currently, the status of the case, it's at the, um, the U.S. District Court of Maine, so it's in federal court, but at the very first level, the ACLU and Americans United for Separation of Church and State filed motions to intervene in the case. Um, and, and that's just where the case is right now. So in the very early stages, but the issue at hand is religious liberty. And when is it appropriate for a religious entity to participate in a publicly funded program? And when, if ever, is it, is it not? That's the question on the table, both in the Montana case and now also in the Maine case. So these are two cases that that people should watch. Pay attention to those cases. We'll certainly be talking about them here. Uh, now, Tennessee uh, is a little bit of a different animal. Tennessee has an adequacy funding case. It started back in 2015. And the allegation arose out of uh, Shelby County, which is basically the Memphis area of Tennessee. And they are challenging the funding for public schools, saying that it's inadequate. Now, what's interesting about this is, first of all, it's been pending since 2015, uh, but also in April of this year, they have scheduled a non-jury trial, uh, which simply means that this will be a trial before a judge who will be hearing the case, and should be very similar to what we saw in Florida, where Florida had the four-week trial, vetted every possible issue related to education and funding. Uh, we expect the same thing to happen in Tennessee in April. 
and that case is Shelby County Board of Education. It was originally versus Haslam when Haslam was the governor, but he's not anymore. Now it will be Shelby County Board of Education versus Lee, who's their new governor in Tennessee. And again, you can check back here. We'll be reporting as there's news to report. Yeah, so check our blog, uh, you know, listen to our podcasts. And uh, Leslie, it sounds like you're going to have a really, really busy year. Uh, not that you didn't have a really busy 2018. And I would also be remiss if I didn't note, uh, you know, you can always support our efforts by going to our website and offering your resources to help uh, Leslie and all of our allies in the legal community push back or fight forward on some of these cases that very much affect families in these states, programs in these states, and, and potentially knocking down some roadblocks that have been in place for a very long time that have prohibited families from accessing the schools that they want to access for their kids. So we will definitely be back here in the studio in the next couple months for updates on those cases. And, you know, thank you everybody for, for tuning in to another edition of EdChoice Chats and have a wonderful day. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, <laughs> Jen.